Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Yeah, I'm a predator. We are preparing to live stream. Ho, ho, ho. I think with it, the weather outside is frightful. Uh, it's 10.30 a.m. on the West Coast, 1.30 p.m. on the East Coast. It's like 6.30 UTC, something like that. I always get it wrong. It might be like 5.30 a.m. In, in, in AEST in Australia. What's happening, fellas? No one could know these things. <laughs> Not much, man. How you doing? Pretty excited. This is the, the holiday special value after hours, hot on the heels of our 100th. They're all just specials these days. We don't, we don't put out any that aren't. <laughs> They're all special in their own way. Oh, Jake, I like your background. I'm that's feeling nice. very festive. What do you mean yeah. background? That's his office. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. And I got my uh, my T-Rex Whoa, I can see shirt. through you. I, I can see through. That is bizarre. It's getting weird here. Look at it. I can, no. I can hide behind this. Oh, my God. That's scary. That's good. You might need that. Yeah. Let's see your outfit, Bill. You've got quite the uh, quite the setup going on there. <laughs> oh, sh- <laughs> nip slip. Hey, yo. It's like a halftime show at the uh, Super Bowl. That's right. Like Janet. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little uh, less attractive than her, but not by much. Different JT here, too. Yeah. Yeah. One that's uh, equally as hot and bothered, though. Oof. This is our last show for the year, gents. Um, let's uh, I, I'll, we'll do a, little, do a little retrospective, maybe uh, what mm. we've got coming up next year. And there's, uh, there's a few kind of interesting tweets floating around that I want to talk about. But how about you, JT? What do you got on the, on the boil? I've uh, got a little piece prepared on measuring hard work in the investment game. Uh, that's hard work. That it is was hard, kind of work. hard work putting it together. But you, BB, I, I don't know, man. I, you know, I've been popping AMC? into some. Yeah, well, I've been popping into some of these AMC spaces. Uh, might talk about that a little. Want to give a shout out to the absolute moron that called Lumber a pump and dump over and over as Lumber's mooning again. Tune out now, idiot. Uh, anyway, and then we'll we'll That's see not how the Christmas spirit. Come on. Well, but, you know, I, it's not quite Christmas yet. But I Let's am feeling talk good. about those AMC spaces because I I jumped into one uh, Friday, I think. Or yeah, I, I know think. I was in it because of you, apparently, because Dan Stringer, oh, SEC pimp, went in. Uh, that's his Twitter handle. But for those that aren't aware, and then I was like, I'm mad at whoever got me in here. And then he said, I'm in here because Toby was in here. <laughs> Can I? Can we just save some time and just smash ourselves in the head with a ball peen hammer instead? Uh, no, I got a, okay. a slightly different takeaway from it. So, yeah. do you, what, what, you're on a Twitter space. I haven't done a lot of them, but they're, they're pretty. I really like that format. You're, you're right. I told you a, we should. It's do a great one. format. Yeah, we should. Yeah. They're, they're really fun because we can get a little bit more interactive. But uh, the one that I was in, uh, so it's AMC, which is crashing. Uh, it was a meme stock. I'm very sad I wasn't shorted. I feel like Friday I should have. Hard to short though. You don't nah, short that kind of stuff. Uh, no, the 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 sentiment cracked, man. When when the when the woman went off on Cahotis, I thought mm. that was like a pretty good 
Uh, well, what happened? Uh, do you want to do you want to give everybody the background? I don't know all the background, and I'm not willing to speak on anything that involves Cahotis. I I do know that a woman got very upset with him, and yeah, what, what was uh, that? accused him of like hijacking the spaces or something. <laughs> I heard the back end of it. I don't know all of it. I'm not trying to be on Mark's bad side. I heard a clip where she was tr- treating him like a dog, or training him yeah. like a dog. I yeah, that was, it was a bit extreme for. Uh, it was not kind. Yeah. Um, I don't have any context. Yeah, I don't either. But I I think he was trying to encourage. I I don't know. My sense, just knowing his holdings, is he was trying to encourage AMC to issue some sort of token using T zero and Overstock because that's where his his bet is laid. Uh, So, yeah. Without without uh, without further detail, I won't opine anymore. However. I felt like between that and the CEO and the CFO being completely out of the stocks, uh, it was, was probably a decent time to short. <laughs> what was the signal? <laughs> I don't know, right? But it's kind of sad, man. I feel like, uh, I don't know, what do I know? Maybe maybe they'll pull off some epic short squeeze and it'll be great and everybody can go have fun together. But uh, just say, it feels to me like a bunch of people that are really mad uh, and they're expressing it with money that is meaningful to them. And um, my gut says the base rates aren't great on this kind of a thing. I think usually you don't want to have like spite be one of your investment thesis. Yeah, I think a short uh, squeeze is a tough thesis too. Yeah, and they're like all convinced it's going to happen. It's just kind of like, what are you guys doing? I mean, there's the got to be some better thing to do with your money. The one that I was in, they had this idea, and I don't know where it came from, but there are a few, there are a few guys on the call who were kind of, I think you had kind of got in on the joke, and there are a few other guys. I, I don't think they realized that how silly the idea was, but they were talking about sending AMC popcorn, like making a, making a, a new um, line of business for AMC, which would be selling their popcorn. Like um, at the grocery store? Yeah. I mean- Popcorn's a tough business because those are big bags and they don't sell for very much because they're <laughs> cheap to make. And then they said, well, what, what's the revenue, kind of, what's the revenue uh, comp for this thing? And someone said 4 million bucks annually, I'm guessing. And then uh, oh. they asked, well, what kind of multiple would you stick on the popcorn business? And someone said 200 times, which I thought was you know, modest for, for popcorn, which is obviously you know, that you trade a big premium. You're business. saying sales. 200 times sales. Yeah. It's you know, grossy. It's, it's, mo- it's, mo- it's a modest multiple in this market, but you know, in, in the fullness of time, that might prove to be a, a high multiple, but even taking that as, as gospel, 4 million bucks in revenues on a 200 multiple gets you to 800 million bucks on a $15 billion market cap. I don't think that's how that works. I don't think it's going to work. That's a little bit. No, aren't, aren't we at 8 billion? Is it at 8 billion now? Or was it 15 when I looked? Well, didn't you say four? I don't know. Four million. Four million yeah. on two hundred times. That only gets me to eight hundred million. I'm no ma- I'm no math magician. I'm no math lead, but that's what I think it gets to. Yeah. Okay. I, I, di- I didn't spreadsheet it out before I came on. I'm just sort of yeah, no, you're right. it up off the top of my head. You're right. There's a little See, bit uh, of gap to fill in between those two. Yeah. I did no, some market research. I asked my wife work. who's a big popcorn consumer, she'd eat it and she said, No, it's too buttery. It's all the health popcorns, what everybody's eating these days. Yeah. That's right. It is pretty good, though, when you're in the movie theater and you get a nice, super buttery popcorn. Big Diet Coke. I could get down with that. You want to make sure to get the Diet Coke 
so that you don't have the calories of the Coke. Smart. Do you think it's hard to uh, to recreate that experience when you stick it on a shelf? Like, does the does that butter? Well, you know, it's stay as nice as that. I don't know. It kind of gets a little congealed, doesn't it? <laughs> I think we can agree it's a it's a flawed investment thesis. Yeah, not, not going to make it. Got to think you're probably going to have more working capital in that one. Yeah, that's a tough. That's a tough one, old AMC. I don't think it's got quite the same chops as GME with uh, the chewy bloke in there. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, man. It's just kind of a. I guess I, I wonder how often this kind of stuff has gone on uh, in the past, and I just uh, always, you know, I don't know some some like person. I I, I put up a tweet uh, about like to just somebody that may read it and change their mind of being an idiot. Uh, and uh, I don't know, this person started to follow me and I was like, man, you guys like start following people that tweet about, like, it was clearly one of these apes or whatever. It's fucking bizarre, man. It's like a cult. Not, thought, not like a Berkshire cult one. though. The bad kind of cult. Berkshire's the good kind of cult. That's right. It's the cult I belong to. Damn it. Well, I chose the cult because I like the uh, the principles of the cult rather than, you know, any other reason. They may too, to be fair. I don't, yeah, fair enough. Short squeezes and, and popcorn. Sticking it to the man and crazy ass Citadel theories. But I don't know. It's, it's kind of sad, man. Yeah, I agree. I had to get out of there. I just, uh, it was, it was a little bit upsetting. Yeah. And, it's and I, I don't know. I like part of me is like, well, just let the markets be the markets and people have to learn. And then part of me is like, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't I don't think the government should intervene. But, um, you know, it's weird. Like you see the people that get in the rooms and they mock them. And I totally get that. And I think half the people are really funny. Uh, but then it's like really sad, too. Right. And it's like, how do you how do you help? Like one of these women, her her profile picture is like her and her kid. Like, I don't really give a shit about her, but her kid doesn't deserve to have mom that dumb. <laughs> oh, man. It's real well, talk. You just, this, yeah. I mean, the, you, you need to do a little bit of... The kid didn't do anything to deserve that, and his mom's going to flush it all down the tw- tubes on, like, some dumbass short squeeze theory. Now, watch it go to the moon and me be wrong. That would be... That's why I don't want to be short. Yeah, well, that's why I'd sell a covered call if I did go short, sir define my exposure uh speaking of cults um so i found this this tweet got i saw this tweet this morning it's from 2017 from april 2017 from a gentleman by the name of jawad s man uh pretty good call here we believe tesla is the quintessential american brand and elon musk embodies the cult of personality that investors are attracted to in the final stages of the bull market the tesla bears club will only grow more frustrated despite their arguably rational arguments. Sell Tesla only when Elon Musk is crowned as Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Ooh. Ooh. Well done, sir. That was a pretty good call. Yeah, was that on the Twitter machine? Yeah, I tweeted it out. It's on my, it's on my stream. Dang. That is imp- that's, that's pretty impressive, really. Yeah. yeah. Normally, get don't that get man that much some right. money. I mean, I guess like a, an infinite number of monkeys bashing out an infinite number of tweets. There's something that's going to be right on the money. Nah, that one's right. <laughs> <laughs> that 
That one's right. I agree. He foresaw it. He knew exactly what was going to happen, but you know, pay that, pay that man his money. Yeah, that's right. I hope he had calls the whole way up. You know, though, wasn't there a, um, was, I thought I saw Bezos on a time cover from when, like, it looked like it was, he was still relatively young. So it must've been kind of post.com blow up, but pre Amazon full dominance. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, who knows? Maybe it's, Maybe someone someone responded the, with a the Madden with, curse, you know. Someone responded with the uh, the Zuck the Zuck Time magazine cover, and you know that was years ago. So Zuck's Facebook's run a mile since then. But the thesis is a little bit different for Tesla because he said the um, there's some other discussion around it. His argument was basically, you know, it's it's meme stock, and his anti-establishment is the idea. He's I, I I cut out some of it for some of the quote for brevity, but. The idea is that oh, so he needed to be anti establishment year, and then he becomes the establishment. His establishment and is the, the meme man. drops. Right. Aha, I don't know. I think he's got a. I think he can overcome that. Interesting parts of Tesla. If you open up their 10K, you will see uh, their S- what their marketing is immaterial. Yeah. So we all do the marketing for them. Yeah, the drivers got to tell marketing. you something. That's well, that's business. why. I mean, he's he's very adept at, at the game he plays. He's very very smart with it. I guess the point that they're making wasn't really that he can continue. He can continue to be anti-establishment. It's just that it's now kind of rich saturation where everybody's got to know who you are for you to appear on Time Magazine cover. And yeah, there's a lot of Teslas up where I live. But I don't I don't know that that. Um... I'm not sure that that knowing who somebody is makes you anti-establishment. I think creating the perception of telling the SEC to go fuck itself uh, keeps you anti-establishment. Somebody put together all of his conflicts for the SEC. It's an impressive rap sheet, I gotta say. Yeah, I mean, I think that that keeps his brand anti-establishment more sure. than the amount of people that know him. But it's very, it's more mainstream now, right? It's just. I guess he. I guess he was pretty well known. He's been well known for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I think. I think. Uh, you know, I enjoy talking to Jen Ross about him because uh, she's really upset um, with the way that he's treated uh, his responsibilities in Tesla, and I think the SEC and investors in general. But then, on the other hand, she has a deep appreciation for what he's done for the space program, uh, and as somebody that works in the space industry, uh, it's kind of fun to talk to her about those tensions. So, uh, you know, he's a complicated character. I think, I think a lot of what he does publicly, um, obviously, is for perception. I think he plays the game very well. No doubt. Uh, JT, you want to do veggies? Oh, hang on. Wait, I got stuff to riff on here, dude. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> There's more riffing to come. Yeah, so I... I uh, I was watching some of these EV uh, things that are coming down the pike. Do you see the new Hummer is going to be 9,000 pounds and do zero to 60 in three seconds? <laughs> that's a cruise missile. That's, Jesus Christ. That's, that's what you yeah. need in a little neighborhood. Yeah. So I said in a tweet, uh, I said, like, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Formula E and whether or not, like, their performance matters versus Formula One. And my buddy Francisco was like, that's the stupidest tweet I've ever read. And I was like, dude, I'm not saying that Formula E is Formula One. I get that it's clearly more than just the product on the on the track. 
But like, if you start to really invest behind these EVs, like they do behind Formula One, like I wonder, the only thing that seems to me to be the limiting factor is what the tires can do. Like, how does a how does a nine thousand pound Hummer do zero to sixty and not just like burn the tires? Every bad of its tires. Yeah, like it's crazy. I mean, mean, it's got to be traction control, right, and all that. They're capable of of instantaneous like full output of torque. Yeah, they don't have to rev up like a elect like a gas engine. Yeah, I know it's crazy, and the torque from zero to sixty is the same as sixty to one hundred. Like it's it's very very cool, and there's a lot of cool stuff that's about to come on the market. Kind of makes me wonder. Oh, they're crushing it. How do the how do the tires work? Are they they're not full of air? They're just rubber all the way around. Oh, I don't know. I I'm unfamiliar with that, but I, I mean, I just think that they don't, uh, I guess what I, what I was thinking is just the amount of acceleration that you can get in an EV. If like right now there's limiting factors, right. But like if a bunch of money pours into EVs, because these things are like cults now, I mean, you look at like what the public market valuation is, uh, I a hundred percent think it's a bubble. Uh, but I think even if we don't agree on the bubble term, even the bulls will have to concede that they're um, optimistic and uh, enthusiastic valuations. So like if that much enthusiasm is chasing electric technology in general, I'd just kind of be interested to see what happens with car tech. And if Formula E can actually turn into this type of thing where they do all the testing, it'd just kind of be interesting be to cool. see what those cars could do. I, I like can't. those Rivians. Those Rivians look cool. I got this little compartment where you can stick a dead body to, which is one of the things I'm always looking for. You just can't well, find that. Yeah, but you can now because the F 150's got the frunk. Oh, they got that as well, the frunk. Yeah. Mm. So, like, all these things are coming out and they're going to be pretty sweet. I do welcome the consumer surplus at some point. It's going to be really nice. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Oh, I agree. I'm also studying like car hacks a little bit. And I'm a lot of these guys are talking about like exotics and these, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm like spending all this money on an internal combustion engine. I'm not sure these things aren't all zeros over a long enough time horizon. Which I hate being that guy. Cause I love the sound of a V8 and like that grumble. You just get the ringtone. <laughs> what do you mean? You know, you get, you get a dial, you get the, the car gets a dial tone. The car gets yeah. a, a rev tone. That just sucks, man. There's something about those loud engines that like when a car sounds like a boat, it gets me all like, that's a Exciting. man car, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. A little testosterone bump. Yeah, that's right. All right. That's all I got. That's my riffing. I like it. Let's, do you want to do some veggies, JT? Sure. I think this sativa is hitting. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. Uh, so... I thought this, I, I was thinking, well, I'm going to start with, uh, this is kind of inspired by, yeah. I regularly have dreams where I am working in the supermarket again, like I did back in high school and college. And they used to really bother me because I would think like, God, I thought I had moved on from this, but I'm still here bagging groceries and checking out groceries. And uh, the last time I had this dream, I, I had the realization upon waking up that I actually love this dream because it reminds me of what hard work actually looked like and that 
I was capable of hard work at one point in my life and that I was, you know, willing to do it. And so I think maybe I'm going to rewind a little bit and give a little bit more backstory that I, that I normally haven't really talked about myself in for this. And it actually goes back to uh, basketball as a, you know, fourth and fifth grader and into middle school. And I remember going to a middle school dance and all of my friends and I bailing on the dance to go to the teacher's lounge where there was like a little black and white TV and watching Michael Jordan during the finals pouring in when he, I don't know if you guys remember, but like when he was playing against the Blazers that, that one year and like he was on fire from three point range at the, in the first half, especially. And that was where he did the like kind of like shrug, you know, thing. Like, I don't know, it's just all going in right now. Right. Um, and it was just such a, it was a, it was a great moment. And I, so I played high school, I played basketball in middle school and then in high school, but here's the thing I was in my sophomore year. So playing JV, I was five, two and probably under a hundred pounds. And so like, I remember going to like away games and coming out of the locker room into the layup line. And just like, you could, I, you couldn't help, but feel like everyone was looking at you and laughing and pointing. And, um, but so, and it wasn't like, I was like a five, two, like Muggsy Bogues who could, was like super athletic. It's just like, I just wasn't developed. You weren't a dunking five, two. No, yes, no. you were Caucasian. I was slow footed five, two. Um, but what I did have was like, no one worked harder than I did. Like I'd be the first one on the, on the ground for a loose ball. I didn't get to play a whole lot in the games, but like practicing, like I gave it my all every single practice. And I, I kind of viewed my job as like, I'm going to make everyone else on the team work hard during practice, at least to try to keep up with me, even though they're going to be the ones playing in the game. It's not going to be me. Um, Did you have a decent wingspan at least? No. Yeah. You had nothing. nothing. I had nothing. No, you um, didn't. Other than just like a look, like being able to play smart and like getting into the right position ahead of time, which can like hide a lot of lack of athleticism if you're positionally smart. Um, all right. So then I got cut my junior year and I was, you know, I was still undersized. I was a little bit taller at that point. Like I'd grown a few inches, but I, um, I started working then and I, I worked in a grocery store from 16 and all the way through college until I, I graduated, you know, like at 22. And that whole time, like I did every single job that was basically in a grocery store. And it was a pretty sweet gig in a way in that, like, I got paid reasonably well that I paid for all of my college with the money that I made, uh, my wages, and even saved some money all the way through college and room and board. I never took a student loan the whole time. Um, and I went to like a little state school and it was, uh, you know, I always, I kind of had a, a sense of, of an inferiority complex because of that, because, you know, I'd like later in life, I'd meet people who went to Harvard or Yale. And like for a lot of time in my twenties, I felt a lot of inferiority to those people. Like, Oh, they must be so much smarter than me. They went to this great school. They had like, a lot of people had a lot more of a typical experience of, you know, partying and having fun. And like, I worked like I literally working night shift. I would go in at like 11 PM. I'd get off at like seven or eight in the morning and then drive to school uh, go to school till like 2 PM and then come home and like do some homework and sleep for a few hours and then get up and do it all over again. And like, that was hard work. I mean, it was like over every day grinding, um, trying not to fall asleep in class. 
sleeping in between classes, you know, when I could in the hallway, I mean, stuff like that. Um, but, and so like, I still have dreams about this, you know, this working in the, in the, in the grocery store, but, and even then, like after I graduated and I got a job running the power grid, um, you know, like there was one year, 2008, where I was in business school. I was working full time running the power grid. My wife was finishing her PhD thesis and we had a kid. And I look back at that time and I go, how the hell did we even get through all of that? Like there's, there's too many things happening there to even like make one year, have it, have it make any sense. And it was just like, it was a lot of hard work. And so now I think about like, all right, what as someone who's professionally investing now, like what does hard work look like? How would you know? Is it returns? Well, I mean, I think that that is, it reminds me of Bezos when they would tell him like, oh, hey, great quarter. And he would say, well, actually like that quarter was baked three years ago by all the things and the decisions that we did and the moves that we made three years ago. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm working on the quarter that's three years from now. Um, or, you know, you could also kind of think about like uh, Jim Grant's quote that successful investing is having everyone agree with you later, right? Um, so any given one year, I feel like returns is not an indication of how hard did you work this year. So what I actually, I went through and I, I looked at all of my numbers, which the software project that I'm working on is really helped in keeping track of this stuff, which is what I, I was, what has me really excited about it. So here's what my year looked like for what I consider hard work for this year. So just on the investment side, like I did 500 and that most of this is kind of towards the second half of the year because I, you know, the, the software took a big leap in the last six months, but um, I did 518 journal entries. Uh, I looked at 144 different in potential investment ideas. Uh, I did 27, what I call deep dives, which is any idea that had more than 10 journal entries on that idea. Um, I did uh, measuring like 30 different sources of potential ideas. So I track, you know, like where did an idea come from? And, you know, am I doing some, am I doing things to like broaden the network to hopefully find more good ideas? Uh, I had a 119 day, which is still going journaling streak. So every like 119 days in a row, I've created a journal entry to really try to build good habits. Uh, I made 122 total decisions, which would include whether to buy something or sell it or not buy it or not sell it and, and recording it then. Um, let's see, 48, I think this is our 48th episode. So this would be 48 vegetable servings that I, I came up with <laughs> over the year. Uh, I read 42 books in the you know year to date, which is a little bit under my normal average, but that's okay. Um, and let's see, I did, I went through my calendar and looked and I had 215 calls, Zooms, meetings that were investment related over the year. So like sort of like, you know, nurturing your network, building relationships. Um, what else? On the personal side, like, um, and I didn't figure this out, but one of the coaches sent it to, to us just uh, kind of, he was messing around looking at how much hard work we've put in as coaches. But um, just on my oldest son's team, we had 72 practices and 74 games in the last for the for 2021 calendar year, which is it's quite a bit of showing up. Um, and, and then going forward, I think some things that I want to start tracking that will be good will be um, I, I recently got an aura ring, uh, which kind of helps you track, you know, sleep and all that stuff. 
actually my wife got a new one and I took her old one, but, um, so, <laughs> but I would like to know, like, I want, I'm aiming for a certain percentage of days that I wake up with a high readiness score. So like, you know, did I show up ready to play the game in a physically good state? Um, I think that's important. And so doing all the little things like getting enough sleep and exercising and eating well, that will hopefully keep my readiness score high enough to do good work. Uh, and then I think like mental health wise, like tracking the number of meditations that you do or yoga classes, uh, I think for me will be, be a good thing to try to, to bump up. Um, and I also got to kind of thinking like, what would be some anti goals, you know, like what, what could I try to actually avoid, you know, using Charlie's inverting. And like, I was like, okay, probably like number of emails sent should probably be tried to minimize. Cause I can definitely waste a lot of time in email. And then obviously like number of tweets read, if I could keep track of that and probably the lower that number was probably the better off my, my entire life would be. But um, yeah. So I, I don't know. It just kind of got me thinking, you know, into the year reflection of like, well, what would a year of hard work look like in the investment context? And I think if I focus on those things and really try to do a good job with all those and work hard in those contexts and measure it that way, I know, am I getting better or am I putting in more work or less, you know, where am I in a, in a tracking sense? Um, I think that all of those things combined will create the, the end result that I'm looking for eventually. The uh, the O-ring, O-ring, yeah. however you say it, is that you got to pay some subscription fee on a monthly basis for that? No, I don't think Are so. Are you grandfathered in or is, is there a one that you can not do that? I think it's just you buy it one time, best I can tell, unless I don't know that my wife's paying all this stuff uh, behind my back. Because <laughs> okay. I thought I had a look because I've, I've got one of the old Fitbits that you don't have to pay anything for. They're always trying to upsell on the, on the subscription, which... I want to avoid. And yeah. I looked at the O-ring and I thought that it was, um, I thought there was a subscription attached to it. I don't know. I don't think we're paying for that, but I could be wrong. You, you may be. Yeah. O-ring three is subscription. Okay. Can you, can you, can you, uh, O-ring two, no subscription. Is that like different levels or is that just the. I have no idea. I can't tell the difference between hers. And I, I think the form factor just got a little bit better, maybe like, lighter and because it's it's a little bit big and cumbersome not i mean compared to my normal wedding ring so uh but but you kind of forget about it and it's nice to it's really easy to keep track sleep with it and and how long you been wearing it a couple weeks is it working does it help you uh in some respect um yeah i mean i think it's good like i like seeing the readiness score in the morning when i wake up and sync it and see like how did i sleep and what happens if you're not ready well, theoretically, if it was low enough, I might consider sleeping not, more. No, just maybe not. Uh, maybe it's not a good idea to be making a bunch of investment decisions that day. You're probably not on your on your A game. Interesting, JT. I have nothing to add. <laughs> um, I got a question here that just came past. I I. Uh, I don't know the answer to this, but any thoughts on Apollo Global Management replicating the Berkshire model? You guys heard that? No. Oh, sorry. I've seen a little bit of talk about it, but I don't I don't know well enough to, to speak intelligently, so I'm gonna bow out. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. But let me let me uh I I'm more worried this. about Berkshire keeping the Berkshire model when Buffett dies <laughs> than I am somebody <laughs> replicating the Berkshire model. How would you characterize the Berkshire model as they practice it, as Berkshire practices it? 
Well, I think what they'd like to say is that they're the preferred acquirer and, uh, you know, trust within the organization enables complete autonomy, you know, within the operating companies. Uh, and I think mutual respect uh, creates a scenario where people come there after selling and continue to work hard. Um, I would say that insurance leverage is also like probably one of the most important things about Berkshire. Yeah, but dude, insurance companies can blow up. Like that's not, I, that's just a component of juicing return. I don't think that has anything to do with what makes, like, I think that that is important from the capital allocation standpoint, but insurance is not the secret sauce of Berkshire. Boy, it's it's really- not, dude. Insurance is easy to kill. Plenty of insurance companies have gone under. You lose the talent. Insurance is not a good business at all. I know. That's like, why I'm saying that's their, that's why it's been so good for them. I guess I think what I'm saying is I think that's because of the people at the top. And I think that you're like objectively going to lose one of the people at the top pretty soon. And I'm hoping that the bench continues to come to work for people that aren't named Buffett. Yeah. Because if you start losing the whole bench, uh, like you talk about, it's funny. He talks about like here, you know, find a business an idiot can run an idiot objectively cannot run Berkshire. Uh, And there's a lot of, I think anybody that's just like, oh, it's going to be fine. I mean, I know Charlie says it, but I'm not so sure. I, I think it's got a better than coin flip probability, but I I wouldn't bet high certainty on it. It's one to watch. I've got a um, I've got a little tweet thread from Preston Pish. Can I throw this at you guys? Yes. Um, so Preston. I'll I'll retweet this in a little bit, but uh, he's he starts with this idea: Why does everything feel like the world is falling apart? Yet the stock market has looked like this since 2009, and we all know what the stock market looks like. It's got that very substantial ramp on it, and so then he looks at major stock indexes around the world. Everything's you know had a pretty good run. Uh, India's top the list at 638 percent. China on the bottom at 75 percent. Since but when? That's, that's 2008. In there, 2009. 2009 to, to present, China's to stock market is only 73%. That's in domestic currency. Okay. Interesting. Uh, ch- changed to dollar terms. The US is on top at 533%. India drops to 396%. China improves to 89%. Um, but then he's, he's done this conversion. So he's looked at the M2 currency supply. How's that changed since 2009? Well, it's up a lot. And so then he... He divides that by M2 and he says uh, the US gets to 139%, uh, India to 92%, and then China on the bottom is negative 31%. Um, and so then he consolidates all of them together uh, by weight. And he says the global market is up 171%, but then you've got to adjust that by M2. And so the global stock markets are up. 6.9% since 2009. Cumulative, not Cumulative. not compounding. Not compound. So basically the market's flat from 2009 if you adjust for US dollars. Money printing. Yeah. Basically. So just US dollars. I guess I guess it's adjusting adjusting for money supply, not just dollar debasement. That's kind of shocking. Like- Feels like I need some fact checkers on this one. <laughs> well, the tweet thread is out there and I haven't fact checked. You know, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, I just, I have no idea. What does it mean though? Get long fang. 
Yeah, I don't know what it means. It's, uh, I, I think uh, probably it's the same conclusion that we draw anyway, that you know the US is up a lot and uh, a lot of that has to do with some, you know, we've, we've printed a lot of money at the same time too, but globally it's still outperformed. And then uh, the other the other countries that are probably more currency, uh, sorry, more commodity type um, markets haven't done as well, which you know value and commodities haven't done well for over about that period of time. That might be that might be the the real conclusion from that. Yeah, but those, I mean, like any series, your starting and stop points can like completely change the story, right? And commodities went from two thousand to whatever, 2008, let's say, absolute moon shot, right? Like China was laying down more roads than, you know, the U.S. had in the entire 20th century. I mean, you just had extreme amounts of commodity usage going through the roof. So, I, you know, you start from that level and then project forward and it doesn't go anywhere. But I don't know. It's like we can move like a few things a couple of years either way and you like change all of the numbers. Remember the brick. Remember bricks. Bricks is an investment oh, thesis. Yeah, of course, the commodity supercycle. Yeah, big time. Whatever happened to that commodity supercycle? Was that more in the telling than in the than in actuality? Was there more narrative than than uh, facts to that? I don't know. Well, I imagine that probably there was a lot of capital cycle theory at play there, both. where you know they're. If, if everyone's demanding that much whatever material, then the market kind of ramps up to provide it. Investment happens in it. We get overcapacity, crash, profits go to zero, attrition, start it over again. <laughs> Did China's know. demand fall away? Like what, what caused the crash? I, I don't, I'm not sure. It's hard. To, I don't know. Because I don't has China slowed its growth over that period of time materially? I, th- I think so. Wasn't it running at like twenty percent GDP for like the two thousands? Yeah, and I think it you know it come down to five to eight percent or something. I don't know. I'm I'm pulling numbers out of my my ass here, but I I don't know. I'm sure, it's just interesting. I just wonder. I, you know, when we were when we were all in that commodity supercycle, it made yeah, it was sense. like. 2007, China's GDP annual change looks like it was 14, then 9.7, then 10.6 in 2010, 9.679, trending down to 6-ish, 5.9 last year, 2.3, 2020. I don't know. They grew in a pandemic. That's not terrible. Still on an absolute basis, those are quite big numbers globally. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm sorry. I was arguing with somebody over whether or not health tracking is the future. So I stopped. I'm just stop listening. Uh, I don't think you're going to be able to avoid it. Eh? What health tracking? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's what I said. I said if they force you to do it, then then people will do it. But I don't think people care very much. You got a pandemic and everybody's using vices like crazy. Like I'm. I'm not going to buy that people care about health. I tend to look at overall obesity and how people act and think they might say they care about health, but they don't. So given the, I apologize. I was distracted. Given the, um, the sativa. <laughs> Speaking of health. <laughs> this is healthy, man. You know, it's we've better had than this, wine. There's this monster seller. Like we've, we've talked about this a few times. The indexes are basically 
not telling the story of what's happening underneath, the, the, the sort of carnage that goes underneath. There's this old Wall Street sword that you've got to be careful when the soldiers don't follow the generals. The generals, I guess, are the big popular, the, the fang, I guess, are, are the generals, fat man or whatever you want to call it. Does the, does the fact that it's sort of narrowed down to a handful mean anything? Can't be great, but I think it means they were ready for a rally. Well, that was that's the other that's the other possibility, right? Like when you, I do, I saw uh, Jacob Economic had um, this analysis of, you know, if you if you look at the index and then you you drill down into the underlying components, so you look at Fang. So it, he's he's saying that there's once you once you do this, uh, it's not nearly as expensive as it might look on a. Uh, it's definitely on a not. Basis. There's carnage everywhere. And these, I mean, like, okay, so Microsoft sports a 37 times earnings valuation. Okay, we can talk about when Jeremy Siegel wrote this paper. I acknowledge that it was 1998. So, but he's saying 1972, nifty 50 to earn an 18% annualized return on Philip Morris, you could have paid 68 times earnings. Pfizer, you could have paid 72 times earnings. Bristol-Myers Squibb, you're down to 17%. You could have paid 50 times earnings. Gillette, you could have paid 45 times earnings. Coke, you could have paid 82 times earnings. Merck, you could have paid 76 times earnings. Hublin's, 47 times earnings. Like These are fantastic businesses, and they have global scale. And like Microsoft at 37 times earnings with Azure, GitHub, Xbox, LinkedIn, Office. I, I mean, you want to tell me that's overvalued? Fine. I'm, it's a huge portion of my net worth because my grandma gave me a bunch of it and there's not a fucking chance I'm selling that stock. No way. To go hide in what? Some shit code trading at like 10 times earnings? Fuck that. What about the others? Because there's a few others in there besides just, just Microsoft. Well, Facebook's I mean, yeah. probably cheapish. Google's probably yeah. not stretched. I think you can look at Amazon. I mean, Amazon displayed last year that they are absolutely functionally... Like society doesn't work without them. So, I mean, I don't know. What's it worth? You tell me. Uh, I, I tend to think that if they trade like bond proxies with growth, that's not the most insane thing in the world. And if then you want to say, well, what happened? Well, but, but, but look under it. Like, I mean, there, there is stuff that has just been shattered. Yeah. And not just like these high flying things. I mean, you can find a lot of stuff that's trading very reasonably right now. So, you know, I just don't, I don't know what to conclude off of it other than these big businesses with global scale and huge incremental returns are trading at like optically high numbers, but we've never seen anything like this before. Which side of the balance sheet do you put LinkedIn on? Is that an <laughs> asset or a liability? Oh, it's a huge asset. It might be a pain to everybody, but I mean, it generates a lot of revenue. It's got a ton of users. I think it's like 800 million users or something crazy like that. Yeah, 800 million members. That's crazy. What, what, is, what is LinkedIn? What's it for? I mean, that's how you... I think if I was a recruiter, it, you must HR have it, right? Troll through. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got to pay to get into each other's DMs. It's like Twitter, but it sucks. Well, well I was going to say, that's what I was going to say. Would you be more likely to hire someone from LinkedIn or Twitter? Well, I think it depends how much I had to risk on my job of hiring somebody with a non 
conforming background versus if I was some corporate shill that just needed to hire somebody that filled a, a roll on paper. Yeah. Interesting. So you think that if you, if you need the pedigree, you need to go to LinkedIn, but if you need someone who is really good at their job or really good at something, <laughs> maybe you go to Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. You find somebody merit-based on Twitter and you find yeah. somebody that's good at marketing themselves on LinkedIn. Uh, you can do some marketing on Twitter too. Yeah, that's fair. Funny enough, Twitter can't build a business out of it yet. So what is that? (laughs) I don't know, man. Seems impossible. (laughs) It can't uh, be that hard, can it? Dude, this super follow thing was really eye-opening for me. And I like the people. Well, it's just this, it's this program. I, I, I like the people over there. So I hate to say this, but it's like, I said, okay, so you pay $9.99 a month. I mean, don't pay, but if you wanted to, <laughs> it would be a waste of your money and it would go to me. And I was like, okay, cool. So like I could do unique things for people. I could host like private spaces, right? And they were like, well, we don't have that. And I was like, okay, so what can I do? And they were like, well, you could, you could set up a Zoom call. I was like, so I have to set up a Zoom call <laughs> outside of the ecosystem and people are paying me and somehow I'm giving Apple 30% for the privilege of doing that plus whatever you're going to take. And I was like, what if we like, is there a way to get a Slack function that people that pay are directly into a message? And then, you know, it's sort of automate. Nope. You can use DMS. I said, have you guys ever used your own DMS? <laughs> no. Oh, it's a yeah. Like it's terrible. So like, I don't know, man, like, they're not executing basic stuff. I look too, and I think there's like three or four thousand people that work there, and and then I saw that they they acquired some company that seems like might be working on to improve the DMs. And I'm like, you have three thousand people there. There's no one there who can like build a little bit of a better experience on this. Like, how can you not search your DMs, and how can you not reply to a specific message? Those are things that are just absolutely mind-boggling at this stage of the game. And, and as, as badly as I wanted to believe early in the year, I sold about, I sold it like 61. Cause I said, I told people too, I was like, I think I can out trade people. Cause I think I have better information. And once I got that information to go to zoom, it was to host what I was I sold it immediately. I was like this thing, no fucking way. Am I riding this train? No offense to the people over there. I really do like you guys, but I really think you need some product improvements. LinkedIn is for reading Ray Dalio's rents. Oh, <laughs> I think that's where they belong to. Never fall in love with a hot dog too much. <laughs> Rudy's got him. Uh, Shout out shit. to Rudy. Yeah, Rudy Havenstein, best best mm. account on Twitter. If if Rudy gets killed, Dude, like, he's you know, been on a like on a tear lately, huh? Did, well, did he's you got see a lot was, to work with? I mean, you know they they killed off a whole lot of accounts. Like they killed off the Epstein um, trial track or the Gillane Maxwell trial tracker and and they killed a few other accounts and i almost tweeted out if rudy havenstein goes we riot but i don't know how many people would be with me but i don't want to be like charging in there by myself but i thought about it i i you know i think he's an important voice that if they were to like kick that voice off i would have a major problem that's like a that's like a freedom of speech issue yeah I'm not co-signing every tweet that Rudy sends because I, I, there's a lot of them and I don't know he gets in a mood sometimes, but I, I like the way that guy thinks. I'm glad like, he's out there saying it. I like it when he says it to Fed, to the Fed officials and they have to respond to him. Send some questions in, dudes. Um, 
we'll uh ignore them we'll just keep on talking to ourselves here (laughs) yeah yeah we need some a christmas mailbag here yeah it's kind of an interesting setup for next year i think given the um the huge sell-off in all of the tech names there's probably starting to be some reasonable value in there and then i still think i was looking at peloton again because i can't stop to give you a heart attack well i think uh (laughs) oh yeah Actually, interestingly, they had uh, their head of um, advertising was on with, I think it was Adweek today. Uh, it's on YouTube. But I think Ron, Ryan Reynolds has a firm that does like, um, I forget what she called it. It's, it's almost like commercials as a service uh, is what it's called. But, but his firm is why they were able to spin that ad up so quickly. I think it took them two days to get that ad like from idea said, yeah. to out. That's pretty impressive. That uh, my my wife is a six and the city devotee, so I watched that. That that was brutal. That whole episode. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> sex in the no city yeah, yeah. Sex in the city is rough, dude. They, uh, I'm I'm certain Peloton didn't know. Um, my stepbrother is a part owner in a bar group in New York, and they own this um, bar. I'm pretty sure it was down the hatch that this happened at. Uh, Samantha went there and like, they knew that they were going for sex in the city. Uh, they, that was, it was going to be filmed there. And then like Samantha bought weed from the bartender <laughs> and they didn't tell them that like, that's what was going on. I mean, they didn't care. Cause they were like, whatever, every all pubs, good pub, but they were like, we're not weed dealers. Uh, they just shilled cheap liquor. She didn't make it onto the new show. Really? Yeah, didn't want to come back. I can't imagine why, having watched it. Yeah, well, she's got those city miles. Uh, fear and greed index is showing extreme fear. Yeah, that's usually a good time to take a swing. I don't know. We have it's the, the only problem with that fear and greed index, and this is all for fun. I don't use it in anything that I do. I just I just kind of like watching it and seeing what's happening. Um, the the main problem with it is that it doesn't run back far enough, so you can't see what it looked like through two thousand and seven, eight, nine. So I think that we don't really get a reading on it until we get the next big extended bear market. And then we get to find out what, so it recalibrates to the full, uh, to the full experience. Turned out this was still greed. Sorry. Our bad. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, 20, you know, that's greedy. You got to go negative five before you, you hit extreme fear. Oh, on Peloton. Anyway, the interesting thing that I was thinking about, cause I was reading the BMO analyst. Um, he was talking about how, you know, these rapid growth companies, when you're looking at churn, um, you really got to be careful on what you're, your denominator is right. Because if they're, what's the probability that the first three months of usage or first year is even churning. And when you're putting on that many customers, you can like really make your churn numbers like artificially lower than they are. Plus with Peloton, you've got like the first cohort is by definition, these super fans, like that's where I just can't, I don't know, man, I need it down like 50% before I buy it. So you got a pandemic year that makes it a hard comp, right? Yeah, and you're only running at like I want to say 200 million run rate gross profit. Like that's uh, you're under a billion. Even if you assume it's growing, it's a billion. Then you're paying 13 billion today for that billion. Ugh. If they can break know, even maybe. on the, well, they're trying to like break even on the bike and then and drive that cost down and then make money on the the subscription rent. Yeah, but like I have seen what my perception of is discounting of the bike to get it to move and like. I just, I don't know, man, for some reason, Under Armour rhymes in my head. 
trying to make a bike that doesn't go anywhere move. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah, but like Under Armour was a dope brand and people forget that. They were like very, very cool for a while. And now yeah, they not suck. even that long ago. Not even that long ago. And I don't know how big the difference between Peloton, the brand is, and Nautilus, if you really start having to move Pelotons. Oof. The difference is, though, that Under That's Armour my fear. is like, Under Armour, you keep right. on buying because you like Under Armour and you're, you're repping their brand for them everywhere you go. With Peloton, you sort of got it in your own house and you're doing it because you love it. Yeah. I mean, dude, I get it. I like it. I did their workout a couple of days ago. Um, but... Uh, 13 billion, still 13 billion. Used um, to be money. Yeah, it's nothing. Rounds to zero now. Do either of you guys look at Chinese equities? I know Jake uh, here, does. Here we are again. <laughs> Alibaba just like Alibaba is crazy cheap here, provided you get your money back at some point. I think that is the provided. Yeah, that's a pretty big proviso. I don't know how you assess that one. You probably just got to take a swing at it with a little bit of money that you can afford to lose and then never sell it. Could be. Oh, that's not investment advice, by the way. Yeah, not investment advice. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. Out of every security in the world, I just kind of ask myself, do I have to play this Alibaba game? And my answer is no. If it works out, like I totally get it and I'm happy for the people that did it. But like, it's just not something I have to swing at. It's kind of where I size position this. in it. Yeah, but like, I don't know. I got other shit I'm doing that with. <laughs> yeah there's lots of ways to to play the game you don't have to do it the same as everyone else necessarily do what makes sense to you jake book recommendations uh best book i read this year or at least the one it's a little bit of recency bias here but um fallen leaves well yeah, the only was... answer to this is shantaram it's the only answer I didn't Oof, read that, that this year, but oh, yeah. it's a rough book. It's awesome. It's good. It's long. Yeah. yeah I didn't, I didn't realize I read it on Kindle. I didn't realize how big it was. Yeah. It's very long, but it's a, it's a rough read. If you, really? if you like, I flew <laughs> through it. I mean, it's an easy read. Sorry. It's a rough story. Yeah. It's not a hard, it's an interesting read. It's just it's... tough story. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, Thousand Brains by Jeff Hawkins was very thought-provoking. Um, but yeah, this total recency bias, but that Fallen Leaves is um, by Will Durant, who's written lots of history books and really prolific author. And this is sort of him at 90 years old, his final words on a bunch of subjects of sort of the human experience. And it's incredibly well-written, eloquent, exquisite language. Um, it makes me jealous of how good of a writer he is and his word choices, but, um, yeah, what else is good? I don't know. It's hard to give book recommendations because, you know, I mean, I've, it depends on what else you've read in other contexts, like it may fit with you better. And so I don't, I try not to do too many book recs. You know, I, I, uh, I was thinking about the hard work segment, um, I think the hard work that I've done is watching me get the shit kicked out of me and not doing anything. That's, that's a good observation. Actually. That's like the psychological. It's not so easy to not do anything. Test. Yeah. Um, my forecast for next year is uh, the market <laughs> crashes in February and uh, bottoms in August and uh, then rockets to new all time highs like 10 years later. <laughs> 
that's helpful to trade around. Ch- chisel that into stone. Oh boy. Is value dead again? I think value is very much alive. Dead again already? Value spread is as wide as it's ever been, and value's had a pretty good year. As value's now rotating into momentum, uh, it's going to be a fun ride, I think, for value for a while here. Still at a big discount to the market. It's still cheap. Maybe not so much on an absolute basis, but relative to prevailing interest rates. Tough game. Who knows? If interest rates go up, which they seem to be showing no signs of doing, 10 years always, 10 years hammered. It's like 1.4 something at the moment. What's that in real? Never knows. <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess it's like negative four or something. Eight. I don't know. Who is Rudy in real life? I don't know. And I don't want him out of either because I want him to keep on doing what he's doing, but I have no idea. Yeah, there'll be no doxing on this show. It's got to be somebody that's retired. You can't just sit at your work all day going. Maybe he's got a very boring job. Maybe. Um, Why doesn't China's private debt scare off Ray Dalio, given his knowledge on debt cycles? No one knows. Ask Ray. I'm not opining on this. I don't. I don't understand anything that Ray talks about. Different, (laughs) different worldview to mine. No, it's the. the, I think the biggest deviation is the, the 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 global economy being a market machine. I just fundamentally disagree that that's how it works. It's not a machine. Agreed. It's an it's some sort of organism, complex adaptive system. UA makes you know things what, too baggy. Huh? That's yeah, but that's want. not what killed it. That's not what killed it. That's, that's what the kids that maybe would have. Yeah. The kids all laugh at us with Tommy Hilfiger made stuff too baggy. If you want to talk about somebody that killed the brand, making stuff too baggy. Eh, People liked it for a while. Yeah, but that got a little absurd. Then Ralph went the same direction. That was kind of sad to watch Ralph go through like 13 iterations of RL. Do you guys remember Chamath? He was a bloke who did some specs earlier this year. Haven't heard that name for a while. Dude, he has the tiniest legs. His I was I was doing I was doing a, a leg workout yesterday and I was like, my legs are so much bigger than Chamas. Chamas legs are as small as his returns. That was what I said to myself. Man, that's also in case y'all doubt, peep that beast. That's a You've been doing calf phrases. Oh. Bro, I was born with that. Oh brown sugar in that the problem is that that uh (laughs) that dude that used to train me they called me muffin top he just used to say it was fat man calves that pissed me off that's brutal yes the thesis on the thesis on barber i don't know chinese i've never been outside my hometown but monk aboard barber and has a low backward looking pe also had a podcast on it i think that's a pretty good summation of the thesis (laughs) I, i think that's not a sufficient investment thesis i think that's about as likely to work as the AMC ape thesis. Ooh, full circle. I assure you, I assure you, no, 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 no. There's a difference here. Munger's thesis is way deeper than that thesis. That thesis is hot garbage. That's not a thesis. That's like a reason to maybe go do some work. I think they were joking, but I think that was pretty funny. I I don't think, but they may have been joking. I don't think that's like a lot of people are doing that. I agree. That is a big mistake. But here's the thing, right? It's quantitatively cheap. It's it's doing it's going to keep on growing. The only thing you have to get over is whether you get your money back there, and it's just like no one knows. Everybody's guessing. Yeah, that that is the only thing. <laughs> I, get, I get that that's a big thing, but you can't you I can't like important, but 
you can't research it or think about it to like there's just no answer you have to that's just diving into the unknown that's uncertainty that's what that's what seth Kleinman would say uncertainty is that's extreme uncertainty like it's it's either a donut or a or a 10 bag i kind of feel like it's up it's more likely to be up than it is to be a donut yeah i mean i would have I'd said this a for a long time now but i'd be more inclined to be long than short i only hold two sure. securities but if i did hold more than two securities then i'd be about I mean, the this only thing that you like could a... say is that today is the wrong price. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's either a zero or a lot higher. That's right. That's no, binary. The, the only problem is there's a lot of vol in the options. So you can't even I play say a zero. Today. I don't mean a zero. I shouldn't. I'm sure somebody is like too specific with your price yeah. targets. I took a look at DBX. I thought it was uh... Dropbox. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when I took a look. They've clearly got some religion about capital allocation in there. It's looking like a real business. I don't know where it's trading at the moment. I looked at it nine months ago, something like that. Yeah, they came out with that a little while ago. Um, I tell What's you what, metaverse I like, strategy. That's what I want to know. Just uh, I don't know that they have one. They're more of a two-dimensional product, and you need a third dimension in the metaverse. Uh, but don't <laughs> don't turn us off here. Hang on. I got something that Mike uh, Nongap wrote up that I really liked. If somebody likes these crazy ass ideas that turn into special sits uh fuck me this is riveting radio right you know now. what <laughs> hush all right i don't know whatever i i thought i might be able to pull it up but i can't can't get it up sorry it was it was uh it was great oh well i'm the only one that will know about it <laughs> But I love how he looks at stuff, man. I, I he like he went through uh, where the person has also run a process, right? And then like what what previous outcomes were like, um, you know, just kind of how this person is incentivized. I, I don't know. I just think I, I love the idea of looking at proxies to, to to figure out situations and just looking at where people have been and what's what the outcome has been. I think that's a very cool way to invest. Yeah, I think information per page uh, proxy is pretty high up there when it comes to financial statements. Don't don't sleep on that. There you go. It's a cash flow statement. I feel like is kind of criminally under underappreciated. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think that's probably true. If I had just lived by that, I would have bought Amazon real real little, and uh, I'd be retired. I, I got a question. Coming... What's uh, what do you guys have green dot? For green the... dot's the one to look at. GDOT. I think that's a cool idea. Do some research on the proxies, folks. What's uh, holiday plans for you boys? Um, going uh, somewhere with the fam, and then I think for the first, we're having people here, and I think I'm going to enjoy edibles and avoid the booze. Mm, okay tc what you got yeah family's local here my wife's parents the grandparents of the kids so we'll just be staying local and uh eating too much i guess what about you jt i took the words right out of my mouth same (laughs) same plan i'm going to try to do as little work as possible starting pretty soon i think i'm just about at that point where if it comes in i'm flicking it to 2022 Mm, i like that point Dude, is it 20% of this decade already in the books here? That's that's kind of a mind F, isn't it? 
Everything just gets faster out. as you get older. As a portion of your life, like it just, it just, it just drains away. That's the, that's why old blokes, I think, are reasonably good investors because they're just like five years. Like that's that's nothing. I've I've seen lots of those. When yeah. You're young, when you're young, seven years seems like a long time. Now five years, nothing rolls off really quickly. I, I can be much more patient at this stage than I was when I was younger. Yeah. You know what's uh, what's just. Well, while 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 we're riffing on things, um, is it credit acceptance? I think it's credit acceptance. You see, they yeah. You see, they retired eight percent of their shares outstanding in a quarter. That's impressive. Just in case you need a reminder that uh, when the stock goes down relative to the cash flow, buybacks can go a long way. Eight percent a quarter is a big quarter. Yeah, I like I like managers who buy back stock, particularly when they do it at a free cash flow. Didn't AGO really work out? That was one you used to like. I still like it. It's still day. going. I just I just don't hold it anymore, but I still like it. It's just um, I've got some other stuff in there that I think is a little bit more interesting. But it I, was for I, that reason, though. You really liked how that guy returned capital, right? Oh, he's a management beast. team. That's Dom uh, Pereira, I think his name is. He's um, yeah. That I, I still think that's a really really interesting stock. Yeah, interesting. Massive right. discount to adjusted book value. All right, dudes, I'm going to call it Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas Holidays, to you everybody. guys. See everybody back Be in 2022. Ciao.